0: And turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 9, and we'll be in verse 30. And I'll read from Romans 9.30 to Romans 10.4, this next session in our series in Romans. And I'm very thankful we had a great vacation and came back. And how thankful I am for having available to us as a church, it wasn't always this way, capable people to preach and In my place, for sure, we are blessed uh, in that and thankful for that. And we continue this is sort of a summary section here in Romans that concludes the argument there in Romans 9 for God's sovereignty. God is sovereign, we learned, in Romans 9. In other words, He can do what He wants, and He elects some to eternal life. And these facts, right there in our Bible are facts that we might not believe that way, but that's how it's laid out for us in the Scripture, and we do not make God in our image. Instead, we believe Him as revealed in the Scripture. And I thought uh, uh, that was made clear last week uh, for sure. So now we turn to really this righteousness by faith, which is one of the underlying themes of all of Romans, the righteousness by faith. How did Israel miss righteousness by faith and what that means for us, and we'll look together at the fact that righteousness in our life is established by faith. It includes our effort, but it isn't dependent upon it. It's a wonderful, beautiful aspect of the gospel for sure. Romans 9, beginning in verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness Lord, how we ask that you would show mercy to us, guide us, and lead us by your spirit and the truth that we together might have a greater apprehension of the wonder and mercy and beauty of the gospel today. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. In the summer of 2018, former First Lady Melania Trump visited the border. There was a border crisis going on. Funny how things don't change. 2018, Melania Trump goes to the McAllen Children's Center, uh, New Hope Children's Center there in McAllen, Texas, and she wore a jacket. Do you remember this? She wore a jacket, and it stood out. It was like a $39 jacket and she's a classy person doesn't wear cheap clothes like that but on the back of the jacket was a statement do you remember this and it said i don't really care do you i don't really care do you on the back of her jacket now she didn't wear the jacket into the the facility there on the border she just wore it there and on the way back, not at the facility why she was visiting. And the reason she, had, it came out later, the reason why she wore this jacket, it was a clever way of sort of taking a dig at the at the media. Because, of course, I really don't care to do you, of course Melania Trump cares about what's going on at the border. After all, she immigrated to this country in 2006 and then as part of that phenomenon of chain migration, her parents coming here as well. Rarely does an immigrant to this country look without compassion on other immigrants for sure. Now why am I stirring the political pot? Do you see me up here? I'm stirring with a big like ore-sized spoon this morning. It doesn't matter what you think about uh, politically this morning. What matters is Do you really care? Do you really care about the things of God? If I were to ask you, do you really care about the things of God, about zeal for God, about passion for Him, about love for the lost, about love for the confused regarding the issues of salvation, do you really care? And I would say yes. After all, you're here this morning. Of course you really care, but you know, the problem is sometimes our care and the passion and zeal we have for God, sometimes that leaks out to other things, doesn't it? Sometimes our passion for God wanes. Sometimes we don't really care, truth be told, about God's righteousness, about the plight of the lost, those who do not know Jesus. So today, I'm asking you, if you care, do you really care about the things of God? Are you zealous for Him? Because, see, that's the issue here in this text. Israel cared. Oh, they were passionate and zealous. The people of God, historically speaking, cared and were passionate and zealous. Yet, look in verse 32 in our passage. They did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. You can have a passion and a zeal for God and miss it and miss salvation. And I don't want that to happen to anyone here. And Paul didn't want that to happen to anyone. And so, this is a passage about pursuing by faith the righteousness of God. That's what we're going to talk about so that we don't miss it. We don't miss the pursuit of the life that God has called us to in Jesus Christ. So, there is a better way. There is a better way to live, to care and to have zeal for God. And we're going to look at that better way today. And there's an outline in your bulletin if you want to follow along. And we'll take up the first point here is really the righteousness by faith, the righteousness by faith. This is part of the core message of Romans, the righteousness by faith. And what we see in verse 30, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, the righteousness that is by faith. And so what Paul is pointing out here is all the advantages and the efforts of the Jews did not lead them to the right place, but instead they had a dependency on their own effort. And so they missed the righteousness that is by faith. But the Gentiles have found this righteousness by faith. There possibly is a dependency upon our record, our effort as equated to standing with God. And this, the temptation of the Jews is the same temptation for us that we would think of ourselves more than we ought. And as a result, we would miss this righteousness that is by faith. Now, righteousness is a key term in. Romans This goes all the way back, if you turn with me to the so-called thesis statement of Romans, which is in Romans 1:16 and 17. <clears throat> and we see in the gospel, this is Romans 1:17. in the gospel, in it, what? The righteousness of God is revealed. From faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now the righteousness of God. If I could explain this to you for a moment, the righteousness of God is both an attribute and it is a description of his activity. So the righteousness of God is an attribute that belongs to him. In other words, this is a description of his moral perfection, his holiness, how he perfectly executes judgment and justice. This is a description that everything he does is right. Who he is is right that's the righteousness of God but also the righteousness of God is portrayed in his activity especially in his redemptive activity that God does everything right is makes him righteous and then he is righteous because within his character he is morally perfect and so the righteousness of God is a term here in Romans, the way it's used in Romans and in the New Testament as well, that carries a lot of freight, describing both how God has redeemed his people perfectly and describing the righteous character or, uh, of God as an attribute. So that's righteousness explained. Now this righteousness is something that is to be pursued. To pursue righteousness is really to follow, to put effort into, glorifying, calling attention to, and walking in the ways of God, that his activity that is righteous, the mercy, the compassion, the love that he shows for others, the discernment, the wisdom, all of that would be mirrored by us, we who are made in his image. To pursue righteousness is to put effort into Our Christian life, pressing forward, striving for righteousness and putting effort, as I said, into the Christian life. Remember, we've just come through a section of Romans on God's sovereignty. So we need to see our effort and our ability in the context of what God has done and is doing. What he does is primary What what we do is secondary, derived from the primary activity of God. And what we see in this passage, this pursuit of righteousness should be by faith, through belief, verse 31, back to Romans 9. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. So they did not succeed, they thought they were doing what was right, but they were too dependent on their effort, not dependent enough on faith, belief, the relationship they have with God as the children of promise. And so we understand if you turn back to Romans 9, verse 8, Romans 9, 8, this means that it is not the children of the flesh... Who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So the understanding is the children of the promise, these are by faith. Those who are not depending on their relationships, their ethnicity, their performance, they are not the children of God. Instead, it's your relationship with the one who has promised that makes you a child of God And so we see that the Jews missed it. Now look in verse 32. They missed the pursuing of righteousness by faith. In other words, principally through the power that faith provides as we pursue the ways of God. Now why did they miss it? Verse 32, because they did not pursue it by faith but as if it were based on Works, that is a temptation, is it not? For us, we who are capable people, capable, organized people of putting great effort into things that at some time we would say, Well, maybe God loves me a little more today. Because you know, I check the quiet time box before I get, you know, on my to-do list, have a quiet time, have a devotional. I checked that box before I came to church. So, you know, the prayers are in the express lane. They're in the HOV lane today. It doesn't work that way. And the difficulty for us is that other things work that way in life. If you study hard, what happens? You make good grades. If you work hard, you get a good job. You get a good paycheck. And so we're used to taking that way of life with us into our relationship with God, it simply doesn't work that way. And that's why it's scandalous. It's scandalous. Look at the next verse here, verse uh, 33. They have stumbled over this stumbling stone. Verse 33 is a quotation from Isaiah 28, 16. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Whoever believes in him, will not be put to shame. And this quotation comes in to say that the gospel is offensive. Why is the gospel offensive? Because the gospel primarily is a statement that you can't, you can't, I can't. The cross criticizes us. It says that even on our best day, with our best effort, we cannot stack up to the righteousness of God. Therefore, what has God done? He has sent Christ for us to live the life we never could, to meet the standard. Christ has met the standard on our behalf. We can't meet it. And that's the scandal. That's, that's offensive. Do you like being told I can't? Or you can't? That's what the cross does. It says you can't. The cross is the ultimate statement of our powerlessness to affect the will and the love of God. Christ has come, and he is the rock of offense because he breaks you. He breaks us in all our pride and our effort. He says, you can't, so I did. And this is the mercy and the grace of God. This is the message that the Jews missed. And so we see there, whoever what? Believes in him. This is the righteousness by faith. Believes in him. Will what? Not be put to shame. To not be put to shame is to not be disappointed. To not be disappointed in the outcome Of your life, even into eternity, I will tell you this you may lose everything in this world. You may die alone in this world if you have believed in Christ. When you get to heaven, you will not be disappointed. You will not be sorry, no matter what you experience and how you suffer in this world. You will not be sorry you're a Christian. You will not be put to shame. You will not be disappointed. Now, I'm going to give you two points of application Wait before I do that. So this points back to the ultimate Jew. Who is the ultimate Jew? Well, Jesus is, but historically speaking, Abraham is. And that's Romans chapter 4. Turn back with me there. Let's catch this one verse and connect Romans 4 And we're going to look at verse 3, Romans 4, 3, with the overall theme of the righteousness of God and see how this is a through line that takes us all the way to chapter 11. So Romans 4, 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That is a statement of Abraham's faith. Now, Abraham's faith had a slightly different content than ours. Abraham believed the promises that God gave him. He didn't know what we know, we who are on the other side of the cross than him. But nonetheless, he had the same kind of faith that we have. Our faith looks back to the cross. Abraham's faith looked forward to the cross and God's fulfillment of the promise to him that he would make him into A great nation. And so this is what was missed. Abraham believed. He didn't work for it. He believed. And that was enough. And likewise for us to pursue righteousness, we must believe. Now, I'll give you two points of application then. First, we have to navigate our advantages. Part of the failure of the ancient Jewish people, if you go back to Romans chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, Part of their failure to reach and to understand righteousnesses by faith was an inability to navigate their advantages. Look in Romans chapter nine verses four and five. The advantages are listed for you there. Look how good they had it. They are Israelites. To them belong adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. They did not navigate their advantages. What about us? Did you know in any moment, you have a little computer probably in your pocket, and you can pull down any verse at any time, search for any phrase that's in the Bible, pull it up. You have access, you and I, we have access to more translations of the scripture in English than any ancient person could ever imagine. We have access to any number of big name accomplished preachers who preach better than I do, by the way. You can just download those podcasts and other things and resources. Think about the advantages that we have on this side of the cross what Abraham could only reach out and believe by faith has been filled in for us in Christ. What an advantage we have. And we have the Holy Spirit to navigate advantages properly. And every parent in Bernie, Texas should be listening to me right now if you don't want to raise spoiled kids. To navigate privileges To navigate advantages, what do you do? You give thanks for those. You give thanks for those. And you bring those advantages and those privileges that we have to God and you give thanks to him for those that they might be rightly affected in your life for you to grow with God. It's not a reason to feel guilty that we have more access to Christian teaching than any other generation in the history of the world That's not a reason to feel guilty or ashamed. It's a reason to say, thank you, Lord, for what you provided for us that I might walk with you. And isn't it interesting that the devil has selected a strategy to overexpose us to this so that we know so little of it? You know, I mean, when I went to seminary, you know what they made you do? They made you take a Bible content test. Why? Because people going to seminary didn't know their Bible. They didn't know the facts of the Scripture. And so if you didn't pass the class, I passed it, by the way. If you didn't pass the class, you have to take a remedial Bible class. And that's an okay way to do things, for sure, because we live in a post-Christian world But it is to say, take the advantage you have and offer it to God to the praise of his glory that you and I have access in a way that the ancient people of God only could not even reach out and think that would ever happen, that we together would know this book. You know, we came through last week a difficult, challenging section of theology and scripture do you know the content of Romans 9? Do you believe that God is sovereign, that God elects like the scripture tells us? That's a challenge for us to offer to God. Thanksgiving for the advantages that we have. Psalm 103 verse 2, bless the Lord of oh my soul and forget not all his benefits. That you and I, would remember what benefits us as being Christians in 2021, and that together we would offer these benefits up and advantages and privileges that we have, and we would thank God that, you know, last night, I didn't have a visit from the police telling me what to preach, telling me to be quiet. None of you were impeded by authorities from coming today. What an advantage we have. What a day we live in. Let that not spoil us, but instead let us offer that to God as we pursue righteousness. And then pursuing righteousness, so we're talking about navigating the advantages. That's what ancient Israel failed to do. All those advantages they have, they had. We've got to navigate the effort as well. We've got to navigate the effort in the Christian life. Effort in the Christian life is not opposed to God's grace, God's grace motivates our effort. It's because of Christ's tremendous love for sinners like us that we would want our whole life to be an offering of praise to his glory, that we would reflect back to God the wonder of all that he has done in rescuing the likes of us from hell, that we together put effort into the Christian life, not because we are earning anything but because we've been given everything. Given everything. Do you remember Romans 8, our tour through Romans 8? Verse 37 of Romans 8, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What an advantage we have. And what a way that we together would not try to earn. You know how many Christians are out there trying to earn that which the Bible already says is true of them? Our effort must be navigated, and we shouldn't be out there trying to earn that which is already given to us in Christ. Instead, believe and live into the promises of what is already true about you in Christ. So we've discussed first part of this passage which explains to us the necessity of pursuing righteousness by faith and not missing it. We've got to navigate our advantages, navigate our effort, that we wouldn't end up in the wrong place as ancient Israel did. When you pursue righteousness this way, when you put effort into really reflecting the beauty and mercy and love of God in your life that he has had on you, When you do that and you're pursuing righteousness by faith, what does that look like? What does the life of pursuing righteousness look like? And I've got three ways here under point number two, three ways that if we look at the Apostle Paul's life, we really see what the righteousness by faith life looks like. And the first is there in chapter 10, verse 1. What does it look like? a love for the lost, a compassion for the lost. Uh, Look here in verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, he's talking about the Jews, for them is that they may be saved. What compassion and love Paul has for the Jews. Now, did the Jews do him right? 2 Corinthians 11 gets autobiographical here. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Did you catch that? 40 lashes put someone too close to death, so they subtracted one, 39 could be endured. How many times? Five. At the hands of whom? The Jews the Jews, and yet when he talks about his heart's desire, in other words, the heart is the biblical center of the intersection of the emotions, the intellect, the will, the volition, who he most deeply is, and he says his deepest desire and prayer, joining that desire with prayer is that they may be saved. Oh, even on my best day, I I think I would say five times being beaten by a certain person. And in the next verse there, uh, three times I was beaten with rods once I was stoned. Of course, stoning, ancient Jewish method of execution. I think on my best day, I would instead write something like, Brothers, my heart's desire, mm, usually and prayer to God, maybe on my best day, is that they may be saved, uh, but God, you could really judge them, and I wouldn't mind, because they did me wrong. He's not that way. Now, apply that to the love and the kindness that we show to people who don't believe the same way we do politically, or maybe don't believe the same way we do about masks and vaccinations and government regulations think about all these things that people disagree on that we didn't even think about 2 years ago are we showing that kind of forgiveness and love that is concerned for people people's eternity cuz that was Paul's priority that was his priority. Far too many of us Christians don't have that kind of compassion for confused or unsaved people or people who believe differently than we do on hot button issues. The life of pursuing righteousness is a life that loves other people whether we agree or not politically. A life that loves other people whether we do our work the same way. You know, loving people does not reduce your Christian orthodoxy. If you love someone, this does not mean you have a weak faith. Instead, I would say the opposite. It means you have a strong faith. Compassion for those who don't know Christ is very much the opposite of condescending judgment or apathy or avoidance, which may be more typical responses that we give to the lost, uh, as we might say, oh, they deserve that. Or you see here a compassion for those who had really hurt the Apostle Paul physically. He has a compassion and a forgiveness for them. And so a life that is pursuing righteousness, what does it look like? compassion for the lost, also zeal for God. Look at verse two. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. Now this zeal for God is commendable, but look at the qualification at the end of verse two there in chapter 10. It is a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Now what does this mean? Now the knowledge here we're talking about is not just an intellectual knowledge, the intellectual facts. The knowledge there is a relational knowledge a relational knowledge that comes through Christ, that we have a relationship with God only through Christ. And so for us to be zealous is dependent upon, to be zealous for God, to be passionate for Him, is to be in relationship with Him through Christ. So the problem is that the Jews are zealous for God, But that zeal is not according to knowledge. Who is zealous for God in our world right now? And I use God in quotes because Muslims do not worship the same God that Christians do. The Taliban. The Taliban is zealous for God in quotes. I mean, do you understand? our society, we're sort of debating and wondering about You know, is someone who is born a male, uh, a a boy, a man, you know, and, and all this confusion. You think the Taliban sit around and talk about things like that? So zealous for their version of God. It took them 20 years, but they have their country back. And they are the ones in power, zeal for God. According to knowledge, which we would say the Taliban doesn't have, is unstoppable. According to knowledge, according to that relationship with God. Here's the thing. Many of us are apathetic when it comes to the things of God. Apathetic means, eh, I don't care. Eh, okay, go to church. Okay. And then you look, and I'm just going to pick randomly a random College football team. Random. Texas A&M last night (laughs) at Kyle Field. Was that passionate? Was that zealous? Did people care? I mean, I'm just, again, picking a random team here. (laughs) What's happened to our zeal? What's happened to our passion? And you know, what happens to our zeal and our passion, it leaks out to other things. We don't really steward the passion. All of a sudden, we're told to care about whatever issue is going on in our world, and now we care more about that than the things of God. Now, nothing wrong with being a college football fan. I certainly am. As long as we understand those are vain things. Nobody's going to remember who won a game A year from now, no one cares. doesn't matter for eternity. It's a fun diversion. But let us return to the passion and the zeal, the single-mindedness we have for He who is the way, the truth, and the life. To be passionate, zealous. What in your life... Do you care about so much that has captured so much of your attention that you're distracted, or that has captured so much of your attention you don't have enough left, as it were, for God? Paul asks the Galatians in Galatians 3:1, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched us? and drain some of that passion and that zeal that we ought to have for God and the things of God. Where's that gone in this generation? Hold on, I got to check Instagram. Hold on, I got to watch the news 24 hours a day. Let us awaken from our sleep and find out what has captured us, what has captured our zeal, and return it to only be zealous for God. Last thing here, second to last thing. Life of pursuing righteousness, it's compassion for the the lost, zeal for God. It's submitting to God's righteousness. This is the ultimate failure here of ancient Israel. Look in verse 3 of chapter 10. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. How often you and I, I'm better than that other person. This is what happened on a national scale. Seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Submitting to God's righteousness is an understanding that his way is better than ours. That his righteousness is the very thing we need and must believe in by faith to have our record cleared. That you and I, even on our best day, throughout our best lifetime, will not accumulate enough righteousness on our own to please God or to satisfy his perfect standard. And so to submit to his righteousness is to by faith believe he has cleared our record. And the righteousness, the perfect life of Christ, speaks for us and has been credited to us. And we see in verse 4, the conclusion of the matter for Christ is the end of the law. The end of the law, in other words, the purpose. And the final point, the telos of the law, the final point is this righteousness of God displayed in the Savior. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes, and doesn't that sound like Romans 1:16? everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Gentile. The law prepared the way for Christ. It was not meant ever as a means of salvation. It prepared the way for Christ in terms of showing us our need for the Savior, showing us our sin and our weaknesses, exposing our need for God's righteousness And in many ways, this passage ends where Romans 9 began, pointing us to Christ, pointing us to God's sovereignty, and showing us a bit about the character of the Apostle Paul and how he truly displayed what a life of pursuing God's righteousness looks like, a life that has compassion for the lost, zeal for God, and submits to his righteousness. Let us be. People like that because... Christ has given us his righteousness by faith. Let's pray together. Lord, we do really care. Help us in our apathy. We do really care. Help us in those times we don't care. Guide us and lead us by your spirit that we as your people would rightly reflect what it means to believe your promises, to be your children by faith, and to pursue righteousness. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.